Welcome to Civil Dissent. These podcasts are about you. Ticia and Ron are speaking as citizen activists responding to the explosive conditions of our times that affect us all. In the spirit of the Fairness Doctrine, we will air conflicting views and you will determine what is valid. We will provide you with leads and contacts to government, business, community organizations, and more. And you take the action. In democracy, information and participation are key. Use your key, your voice, for a better world. Ticia and Dr. Ron have each traveled to more than a dozen countries and have studied political science, anthropology, and communications. We differ on our views, but we agree that our friendship is more than important than our differences. We hope you feel the same. Now, without further ado, Ticia and Ron on Civil Dissent. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I've got childhood memories too, you know. I remember particularly Christmas time when uh, all the lights were twinkling and everything, and uh, mom and dad would drive me all over New York City to visit their favorite orphanages and stuff, and all the lights were twinkling, and it was such a beautiful, about? a beautiful experience. <laughs> and so we all have our. Me- okay. Two. And welcome to Civil Dissent. Uh, I'm Ron Ian Haben, and I'm with Ticia Bowser, and we are back again for um, Almost Civilized Combat, and uh, thank you for tuning in again. And um, we always begin our programs with weekly check-ins, so you get to know us just a little bit better behind uh, uh, the uh, professional lives and uh, learn what turns us on. And so, Tisha, it's all yours. Well, I want to know what you're up to. Oh, okay. Well, I had a very productive week because, you'll be proud of me, I wrote a poem. Whoa. I wrote a poem. Want to hear it? Yes. (laughs) You do? I'm surprised. Okay. Well, it's called The Water's Fine. Creating a podcast is all the rage. You can be a fool, a phony, a comedian, a sage. Mastering laborious technical hoops conquered only by your passion. Talking culture, talking sports, finance, or the latest fashion. It can be booze, murder, conspiracies, and more. Giving the opposition pure hell, and what's more, you get to tell folks how your life is so great. But if you don't subscribe, you're a freaking ingrate. You're the life of the party, and or you should, or you sound the death knell. Things are great. We're on the precipice. You're the wake up America alarm bell. Your home life is perfect. Your worldview divine. Your listeners are numerous, but not as many as mine. So you have to do it. Come join the fray. You can blab to the world. If you only get paid, the engineer points to you time to pay the rent, even though everyone else is listening to civil defense. Yay. Civil dissent. Thank you very much. Uh, hold the applause, please. Um, in my, that's in my head. No one else's. But uh, uh, that was my major accomplishment of the week. And Tisha, how was your week? My week um, was a little hectic, but what caught my attention was that in the UK, apparently, they are shutting down apparently a, a, a hundred schools at this point over concrete, 
Apparently, the schools have an issue with the stability of the concrete that's been used in them. Now, I find that interesting because here in the U.S., uh, research apparently has been showing that schools that don't have proper ventilation or proper cooling is actually affecting the heat in the schools, is affecting the performance of the children and their ability to learn. So I think it's time that uh, money be allocated to start not simply patching up old buildings, uh, but rather really redesigning what schools look like. And not only for the health of the children, but for their mental acuity, for their emotional um, well-being. Because honestly, so many schools are more like a, a form of prison than anything else. The colors that are used, the way that they're set up. My understanding is um, from someone who works on the architecture of schools for the military abroad is that schools um, in other places sometimes are constructed in a circular motion, in a circular design, so that there's a lot of interaction of age groups and grades in the center where a kind of park or meeting ground is created between the children. And I think we should be looking at things going in that direction. You talk about all of the issues with climate, et cetera, et cetera. I think we really have to start simultaneously addressing different issues with the mental health of the up-and-coming generation. Yes, I know that uh, in the past you've opined very well on uh, issues of air quality in schools. And uh, the air um, uh, is often stale and particularly, you know, back in COVID. Uh, but even going forward, uh, the schools could certainly use uh, healthful new modern um, um, airflow systems. Uh, ironically, the uh, Biden administration has uh, set aside millions upon millions of dollars just for air filtration systems. And uh, the holdup right now seems to be in the individual schools. Now, I understand they are a pain in the neck to uh, uh, to construct. It might be very difficult to do that, particularly during the school year. But it's interesting. The federal government is aware of that problem. And so for maybe a, a future show, uh, I would be interested in digging deep and finding out where the disconnect is from that specified money to uh, uh, why the, uh, air quality is not being improved in the schools. Uh, Tisha, perhaps you'd like to introduce our uh, subject matter for this program. I'd be happy to, but before that, I'd just also like to make the point that you don't have to go high-tech. You don't have to go with mechanical things that, frankly, have obsolescence built into them. They could start incorporating, you know, plants. They could start incorporating to design trees. I mean, the simple things that nature thought of that we seem to be destroying, you know, hand over fist all the time. So I hope that that's looked into when they start redesigning schools or trying to solve the problem that frankly has been created by man. But our topic actually today um, at this moment is going to be addressing the, the what is happening with Alzheimer's because it's continuously increasing. And I've heard things like that the current generation that is so digitally um, 
if I say obsessed, digitally obsessed, actually may wind up suffering from Alzheimer's sooner than what current generations are suffering. And they're not quite sure why, but there are some pretty ominous predictions about that. So we're going to get into that topic. We're also going to get into the topic of the mentally challenged and to make the distinction between those who may be mentally ill as opposed to those that are mentally challenged, for example, that have suffered from traumatic birth or issues with united cerebral, having palsied issues, etc. But first, let's address this issue of Alzheimer's because, Ron, I know you have a direct experience with this firsthand. Yeah, um, and uh, it's very tough because I saw my father go through this uh, from beginning to uh, uh, end, um, and uh, his journey was probably shorter than most. His was about three, three and a half years. Uh, some cases begin in their 50s. Uh, we do have to recognize that some of the increase in Alzheimer's is simply because boomers are getting older. And uh, Alzheimer's may have well been uh, potentially uh, available to other generations, but uh, they just didn't live as long. And so uh, those numbers were low. But what Alzheimer's is, in my own uh, observation, is the complete unlearning of yourself as a human being. Uh, Think of yourself as an infant, and you uh, are gradually learning things. You're learning about your fingers and toes. You're learning about space. Suddenly, a little later, you're learning about uh, uh, the other, mom and dad, uh, play toys, colors, shapes, etc., and going all the way up to literacy and becoming an adult. This disease is the exact opposite. You start at you know a plateau, and you go backwards to the point where you really don't know colors and you really don't know shapes and uh, you go right back to the uh, brain stem. And so it is exact an exact unwalking of the journey you had as an infant. And it is very, very difficult to observe. Uh, um, I think it's even more scary for the families than for the patients themselves. And uh, because a lot of little things will make Alzheimer's People very, very happy. Uh, my dad's was um, uh, ice cream social time that uh, he always loved his uh, peppermint ice cream. And uh, th- that made his day, you know, it was pretty simple. But um, uh, it's very frightening. And, um, you know, you would think that because the boomers are now getting older, there would have been billions of dollars of research on this. Um, I'm aware that uh, when the Biden administration first came to office, there was a total of $500 million spent on Alzheimer's by the federal government. Um, And so there have been some medications that have recently come on market that has slowed the progress of it. And that's important because that'll give you 90 days or 120 days to what you know, euphemistically say, get your affairs in order. Uh, and that's helpful. But um, um, got a long way to go. Uh, it's better funded now. Uh, it's becoming more talked about because boomers are getting there. And um, it's very sad and difficult for families. And I can tell you that my dad was in an Alzheimer's facility for a couple of years. And uh, there were actually very few visitors, not because families didn't 
love their loved ones. They just couldn't handle the emotionalism of um, what some family members would call the nut house. And uh, uh, Christmas was often very bare, as were other holidays. And um, uh, it's a hard take. And uh, one of the things I did as a uh, uh, an advocate was I got our privately owned facility uh, for profit uh, to hire a psychologist, not for the patients, but weekly conversations with families who would come in and express what they were uh, feeling God to each you, other. Ron. God bless you, and Ron. that was, and that uh, I think made quite a difference and actually increased. Uh, Uh, the visiting percentages. The other piece very quickly is the financial because uh, I've seen more families wiped out by this disease because you have to uh, pay these facilities. Uh, Even the decent ones are very expensive and you do go through your life savings pretty quickly. And um, that's one of the reasons I liked um, uh, one of Bernie Sanders' ideas of having Medicare pay for long-term care because uh, I've seen most, uh, the facility that I refer to had 100 patients, 97%, 97 of them had no long-term insurance and had to take on extra jobs while their spouse or uh, uh, sibling was slowly but surely dying. Very tough stuff. Tisha? Just two points come to mind, and one may sound a little odd, but one of the things that occurs to me is that Alzheimer patients seem to be experiencing time differently, very differently from the way that we experience time. And whether time is subjective or whether time is a metaphysical construct or whether time is a function of physics is is very fascinating to me because a lot of Alzheimer's patients, as you say, take such pleasure in little things. It's as if though they don't know they're not having a good time. And that's very fascinating to me, to tell you the truth. The other thing that I would just like to sound a kind of perhaps small alarm on is that it seems that people that develop drinking problems are more prone to developing Alzheimer's, or that is my understanding from research that is continuing. So I would say, look, if you're, if you're, if you're leaning towards self-medicating in some way, double think that because you may be creating bigger problems for yourself down the road. And that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, we're certainly the research is looking into that. However, there's a, apparently a huge genetic component to this. Um, my dad had it. Doesn't mean I'm going to get it, but there is a genetic connection. Now, my dad, on the other hand, didn't drink very much. Um, his hobby was walking around Manhattan, I mean, the periphery, and was buff and really healthy, unlike um, his lazy offspring. <laughs> <laughs> um, and unfortunately, he still um, uh, uh, got it. But um, the good news is at our 
wedding when uh, on his 80 just after his 80th birthday he made sure he had uh, the wedding ring on um, uh, the wedding rings on his finger so he could give the, remember to give the rings to the uh, pastor who conducted the service and uh, he with all his might wanted to remember that because uh, poor guy had his only uh, his only child, Mary, uh, he had to wait 80 years uh, for that to happen. I thought he'd have to wait till hell froze over, but he waited 80 years, but he he fought like hell to have those rings on his fingers so he could remember to give them to uh, the, the uh, minister at the time. So this is a good time to take a break and take some breaths, and we'll be right back after this. Civil Dissent. <laughs> Welcome back to Civil Descent. I'm Ron Ian Haben, and I'm with my friend Ticia Bauza. And um, just a couple of shout-outs before we continue. We'd like to uh, uh, encourage you to read, to read, to listen to a podcast. It's produced right here in Orlando, Florida, and there's a burgeoning podcast community here, and we're very proud of that. The podcast to which I refer is called Scotch and Good Conversation, and, and of course, uh, uh, they are intimately related, and uh, that's what I hear, of course. I don't have any personal experience, but uh, our friend <laughs> Peter does Scotch and Good Conversation, and we invite you to tune into that. And, and he you'll is enjoy a terrific it. interviewer. Yeah. Th Fantastic. He is such a pro, and uh, he asks questions out of left field, right field, and beyond the box. And, so and, and gives you interesting scenarios to react to, which is just fascinating and creative. Yes, exactly. Uh, like, uh, um, uh, would you get into an automobile with three really strange strangers? And on we go. Another uh, person we'd like to thank is uh, Banks Helfrich. And I want to call out that he uh, produces what's called a dance party uh, every uh, third Thursday of the month at the local Winter Park Library. It's at 7 p.m. and uh, uh, the uh, conversations are either uh, debates that are, when they get hot, they're interrupted by great dance music for participants and the audience. Um, and uh, sometimes they're individual speakers where you learn a lot and they're open to Q&A. But uh, it's such a great community gathering. So again, uh, Banks Helfrich's Dance Party at the Winter Park Library, third Thursday of every month. And uh, the other is uh, a great podcast, again, produced in Central Florida, Reclaiming Pride by Sally. And that is produced every two weeks. And finally, it says here, a shameless plug for someone named Ron Haben, and um, it is for his book called Hidden Hand, Is Your Life Preordained? And uh, you'll have to read it to find out. I know I did, and 
now I'm thoroughly confused. <laughs> but anyway, back to our uh, uh, program of the day, and that is uh, we're going to proceed to the mentally challenged versus mentally ill. Well, it, it you had, I think, the fortunate opportunity to, to meet my sister, who had had a traumatic birth, uh, which led to her being mentally challenged. So she only really um, matured to about eight years old. And I may have mentioned that before. And the reason it's important, and I'll re- re- reiterate it, is I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how she always maintained the ability to be so happy, no matter what. And then I realized two things. One, she automatically would live vicariously. If she couldn't do something, but she saw someone on TV that could, she would enjoy their being able to do that. She wouldn't feel angry or or at a loss or anything. On the contrary, she celebrated everybody's victories. The other thing about her was she always seemed to live in the moment. Something very fascinating because physicists are now very interested in can you quantify or calculate how long the present is. Because if you can't do that, it really means that it may be happening so fast that we can't really process it. So we're actually always living either in the past or in the future, which is why we're always looking at things or trying to to predict things as opposed to enjoying the moment. Arlene, on the other hand, seemed to have no trouble She seemed to constantly be in the moment, like a child, because children don't worry either about the past or the future, just what they're enjoying at a particular moment. But those are some observations having to do with my sister. Have you had a chance to observe people that are mentally challenged? Uh, Yes, and first of all, I'd I'd like to acknowledge your sister, who we uh, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting, and. um, at the time, you and I were in a Winter Park writing group, and um, she came with a presentation, and uh, she had easily the courage to get up and read her own work, and she brought the room down. She wrote beautifully. Uh, she uh, presented angelically, and everyone in the room was really moved, and so um, um, uh, she brought uh, heart, soul, and wisdom to um, the writing group and uh, to really, I think, almost everyone she met. What a charming, joy-filled person. And I'm, I'm reminded that people spend thousands of dollars with teachers trying to live in the present. Uh, that's a lot of work for um, uh, people. And uh, there are all sorts of gurus and um, um, teachers out there that are talking about living in the present. Well, some people don't have to work very hard at doing that. Um, and even beyond that, um, we can think about animals living in the present and not worrying about a future. And um, who knows even about uh, horticulture and plants um, and trees. And, yes, and One day you know, people, people will learn to do that on, on, on a wider scale. The other things I must say, Again, and and the reason that I use my sister as an example is she, I don't think, is unique. I think that what happens is too many people miss what what the capabilities are of people that are mentally challenged. For instance, she was able to learn puppeteering 
thanks to Michelle, Michelle Lee puppets. And that's because they didn't set boundaries around her. They, they allowed her to, to reach her own boundaries. And I think that was very special. She could almost memorize any piece of, of music, especially Motown music, because that was one of her loves. The other thing I want you to be aware of, I took her, um, to try and and uh, participate in a theater class, which was not meant to her. And it wasn't easy for me to find things because things are either set up for seniors or for children. And here you had a senior with the mentality of a child because she was at the point that she passed away, 68. But uh, a couple of years prior to that, I had taken her to a theater group and the instructor says to my sister, in a rather condescending voice, might add, says to my sister, well, have you ever been to the theater? And my sister looked at her and she said, why, yes, very nicely. And the woman says, well, where? At which point my sister proceeded, and I tell you this so that you know how important helping stimulate these children are or these individuals are. My sister then said to her, well, New York, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, the Caribbean, Las Vegas, Florida, at which point the teacher's mouth fell open and she realized my sister had seen more theater than she had. And you can really teach people lessons, you know? Wow. We have a very strict clock on the wall. And um, we want to thank you for that. I would just briefly, if I can, in one minute, I'm reminded uh, uh, I'm an anthropologist. One of, one of the things I do had done is anthropology. And um, um, I specialized in something called action anthropology. And um, um, I had a wonderful professor, and I believe he's still at Rutgers. His name is Dr. Michael Angrosino. And he spent a year uh, in a facility with what the state called retarded people. And uh, um, I don't necessarily think of that word uh, in, pejor in a pejorative way. Um, he went to the state legislature over the ma uh, here in Florida over the matter of uh, letting people uh, of this population live independently or perhaps sometimes in group homes rather than full-time facilities. And he showed that every one of the individuals he was working with, like 30, all had abilities. Uh, they all could contribute. And he convinced the legislature that what retarded meant was slower. Not that they couldn't, but they did things slower, absorbed slower, and they all had potential. And he helped change the law in Florida as an action anthropologist to free so many of slower uh, absorbing individuals back into the community. And that's, uh, 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 I'm very proud of that. And uh, uh, he helped change the term to, to really go back to what the dictionary says. It just means slower, not having an inability. It's, it's wonderful that you brought that up because I remember when she and I were quite young, she came home from a special class and she was upset. And I said, Arlene, what happened? And she said, well, somebody called me retarded. And I said to her, well, what did you do? What did you say? And she looked at me and she says, I told him I was slow, but I wasn't stupid. <laughs> and that was the last time they tried to take her on. God bless her. The other thing is, you know, everybody 
learns and remembers things at a different rate. And they've begun to realize that memory is a very fluid thing. For instance, people are said to, to, to suffer from short-term memory issues. Yeah, but you know what else they found? They found that the older you get, the better you are at analytical skills when you read something or hear something or a conversation. And I think that that makes up a quantitative difference right there. Then there are other kinds of memory. There's, there's muscle memory. There's cell memory that they're experimenting on. I mean, and we should take that into consideration, I think, whether you're dealing with someone with Alzheimer's or whether you're dealing with someone that's mentally t challenged, because it all may be a matter of how it's information is presented to them in terms of timing. Well, I'd like to thank you for listening to Civil Dissent today. Uh, thank you for continuing to support our program. You can continue to support us really well at Patreon. And uh, our website, as you know, is civildissent.com. Go to our website. You will have references there and more. Uh, uh, we like people to take action. If you have an opinion, for example, on mental health, uh, yep. Um, your your political leaders, your elected leaders do have a say in how populations are treated and how uh, resources are devolved within each state. So uh, 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 try and uh, be brave. Um, and uh, the system usually does work and it is legitimate. Uh, please make your voice heard. Uh, contact the appropriate officials where you live uh, and on behalf of this population and uh, on behalf of Tisha and myself and uh, the, gre the, the very best uh, uh, production facilities in Florida, the United States, uh, the world, and most of the galaxy, I would say uh, you may want to be aware of Castle Door Studios in Winter Park, Florida. And our website, again, is civildescent.com. And we're going to see you real soon at Civil Descent. And remember, other people have made changes. You can have the power to make changes as well. So act on it. Act on your power. Thank you for listening to Civil Descent. If you agreed with a view you've heard today or if you have thoughts of your own, go to our website, civildescent.com, to find references where you can make a real difference. Take action and see you next time on Civil Descent.